0: Well, good morning, my name is Johnny. I am the campus pastor here at The Bridge. Uh, I was texting with my wife right before I got up here on the platform, and she said that my son, Abram, who is four, Abram, if you're watching, hello, uh, he said, why does everybody get to be in our house? He's talking about the worship team. He thinks this is his house, and I just thought, that's so beautiful, and I hate that we can't be together, I think it's the right thing that we aren't together, but that doesn't make it fun or make it easy. And I very much would like to be back here in our house together with Abram and with you. Uh, And right now we can't. If you came a little bit uh, late to the service today, you might have missed the announcement video at the beginning. But all of our Advent services and our Christmas Eve services are going to be all online, live stream only. This year. And I know that that feels disappointing a little bit, but I promise you that we have so many uh, amazing and fun and creative things in store this year. When, uh, like Pastor Gary says, when challenges come, it also provides opportunity. And it's provided us the opportunity here at Meredith Drive and the Bridge to be very creative, to try new things, to innovate, to work hard to make the Advent and the Christmas Eve season as, as special and unique. Uh, as they can be for you. So stay tuned. December 23rd and 24th is our Christmas Eve services. Go to merediththrive.org and just go to the Christmas page. It's right there off the home page. Just click the link for the Christmas info and you can see all the things we have going on. I encourage you really get involved and stay engaged this Advent season. This Advent season is actually, um, it's been different but it's been special at my house. We decided this year we were going to make Advent Candles together. My wife was like, I'm buying an advent candle making kit, and I'm not going to lie to you guys. I thought we were going to be like the pioneers, and we were going to be like dipping wax for like seven hours to make these candles. That's not how it works, okay? It's just a sheet of wax, and you just roll that bad boy up around the wick. My kids did amazing at it. We've got all these candles now in my house, and every night, we've been lighting an advent candle. Tonight, we're going to light two advent candles. It's pretty exciting for my kids, And every night we've been lighting an Advent candle and we've been reading a psalm together and we've been talking through some questions that are intended to help us think about and contemplate the meaning of Advent and the work of God in the world. And it's actually been really refreshing to spend that time every night with the kids and I always love hearing the things that they say to questions like, where have you seen the hand of God? Or this was a question we had one night In what way might God remember the oppressed through you this year? And that's a big, huge question. That's a big question for adults, but that's a huge question for kids to answer. And it creates so much opportunity to have hard conversations. What does oppression even mean? Who are the oppressed around us? It gives us a chance to have those conversations in a God-centered way. And my kids never stop amazing me ...with some of the things that they say about God. My kids understand God in ways that I can't. They understand God in ways that belong to the innocent among us. And they speak and they pray with so much earnestness that it breaks my heart. They remind me that God is tender and also that God is just. And they don't struggle to understand how those things work together. I understand God more when my kids talk to me about God. And I don't know why that's still so surprising to me. The Bible is filled to the brim with stories of God speaking through the most unexpected vessels. There's the story, one of my favorite, of Balaam, who gets scolded by his donkey. Yes, his donkey. That's pretty unexpected stuff, right? There's the story of Samuel, who was just a child when God spoke to him. God did not come and speak to the high priest Eli. God chose to speak to Samuel, this child. And then there are the prophets. And the prophets were some colorful and crazy guys. And yet God chose to speak through these men and women of old with the message of God. And like my kids, the prophets understand the justice and the tenderness of God. Like my kids, they are understanding that those things are not at odds with each other, but those things integrate with each other. The prophets called out oppressive and unjust systems and practices, declaring the judgment of God, but they also expressed the heart of God. And that's what we find in our passage today, As the lectionary has brought us to this uh, chapter of Isaiah chapter 40, and we see the tenderness and the judgment reflected again in the story of another prophet later in our service today, centuries later. So let's dig in, first of all, to Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God, every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places, rugged places a plain." And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I say, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever." You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So uh, this week I geeked out pretty hard on Isaiah. And I know some of you might be into that, uh, but whenever I get really geeky on a passage or I geek out on a book of the Bible, I struggle to know how much of that contextual geekiness to bring to the platform with me. Like, do you guys really want to hear about Hebrew words? I doubt it. Maybe some of you do. There are some of you who want to know about Hebrew words, but there are parents right now who are already straining to hear me over the sound of their children's tablets, and the, the, the Hebrew words are not going to move the needle for you. That's not what you came here for. So we're not going to get into Hebrew words today. But what is important and also interesting is that Isaiah 40, what well, we just read, is the turning point of the book of Isaiah. This is the turning point of the book. Chapters 1 through 39 are filled with proclamations of judgment for Israel and warnings of the impending Babylonian conquest of Israel and Jerusalem. Chapters 1 through 39 are filled with warnings of conquest and exile. They're filled with judgment. They're filled with this, this sense that God has had enough of Israel's unjust ways, that God is tired of it, and now judgment will come, and judgment will come through the Babylonians. These are harsh oracles of impending pain and judgment, and eventually those oracles come true, and Israel is carried off into Babylon. And then after chapter 39 of Isaiah, there is a pause. Walter Brueggemann, one of my favorite Old Testament theologians, describes it like this, there is a pause, a long pause. The reader of the book of Isaiah must endure a very long pause before taking up chapter 40. For the space between 39 verse 8 and 40 verse 1 signifies the defining interruption in the life and faith of Israel. The space between chapter 39 and chapter 40, is exile. This is the things that were uh, claimed that were going to happen, chapters 1 through 39, now they happen after chapter 39. And in this pause, exile comes. The judgment of God against injustice and oppression is carried out by the Babylonians. The temple is destroyed and Jerusalem is sacked. And the darkest days of Israel's history fall across The story. And it's into those darkest days that the opening words of chapter 40 break out over the people of God. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double. For all her sins. Here, into the bleak hopelessness of the exile situation, into the bleak hopelessness of having lost their homeland, of having lost the temple, the bleak hopelessness, what what Walter Brueggemann calls, right, the defining interruption in the life and faith of Israel. Into this hopelessness, the tenderness of God is announced and expressed to the people of God. When everything is so wrong, God announces that things will be made right. And here again, I think the way Brueggemann describes it is so perfect. The actual substance of the news, the victory over Babylon, is an event to which the exiles have no access. When these words are delivered, it hasn't happened. When these words are delivered to the exiles, it has not happened, and so the the, the declaration of victory has been made by God, but the substance of that event is something that the exiles cannot access, and they cannot get to. No one knows how or when or where it happened. It is announced, and Judah is here expected to trust the substance on the basis of the announcement. The announcement comes without equivocation. Comfort is coming. Jerusalem's suffering is over. God has announced that deliverance is coming, and now God's people must choose to believe it. So last night, my wife and I were enjoying some of the finest cinema ever created. We were watching Hallmark Christmas movies, okay? And I learned something last night, that Hallmark movies have actually started kind of to evolve a little bit. And I'm not talking about the plot. That's the same, okay? That's what we come for. They're not changing the the secret sauce recipe there, okay? But there's a little bit of an evolution happening. Because some of the movies are no longer stand-alone films, so it used to be like Christmas in the Woods, and that was its own movie. And then there was Christmas on a Train, and that was its own movie. But now, they're starting to create a combined cinematic universe. You think I'm joking, and I'm not. It's Evergreen, Vermont, and it's, it's the, all the stories intertwine and connect. They have an interconnected hallmark movie universe. Move over, Star Wars, there's a new interconnected franchise in town, okay? they're eating your lunch. The thing that people love about interconnected universes, whether they be the Marvel Cinematic Universe or the Star Wars universe or the new king of them all, the Hallmark Evergreen Vermont universe, okay, the thing that people love about these universes is that if you pay attention enough to the details and the characters and the themes then you get the payoff of seeing those characters and themes and ideas evolve and grow and develop over time. There's callbacks, there's subtle replays of theme where it doesn't just get played out again in exact fashion, but it gets played out and it evolves to include something else. It's all part of this viewing experience. The the universe feels full and rich. All these things connect with each other and the stories all make sense in context with each other i'm going to blow your mind today you ready little known fact the bible is the og interconnected universe og means original gangster it just means it's the first you guys okay so the bible is the og interconnected universe you heard it here first at the bridge this sunday morning second sunday of advent 2020 I'm serious. The Bible was playing themes and elements and interconnectedness way before it was cool for anybody else to do it. And just like in all those other universes, when the Bible brings a theme or a story from one place to another, it adds to it. It brings the history of Of that event, the history of that story forward, and then applies it to a new situation and a new story, and it evolves the meaning along with it. The the original meaning never changes, right? The source material is eternal, but when the Bible references itself and uses an old story to tell a new story, the meaning evolves along with it. And there's a richness and a fullness to this interconnected nature of Scripture. And that's really important for us to see and know this morning because the Gospel of Mark actually brings forward what we just read from Isaiah chapter 40. And actually, the Gospel of Mark makes this the opening lines of the book, whereas the other Gospels begin with some sort of story about Jesus or, in the case of John, with a very theological reflection about the meaning of the birth of Jesus. Mark begins the story with these words. Mark begins the story right here. So let's look at this and how Mark begins the story of Jesus. Mark chapter 1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So once again, we find the word of God in the mouth of an unexpected character i asked my son what do you know about john the baptist we didn't read the story or anything this was in the middle of the middle of the day i just randomly looked at him and said what do you know about john the baptist and he goes he ate crickets yeah he did he did do that and that's not the person you expect to come tell you about jesus okay you don't think the cricket guy is going to tell you about jesus but this is how god works right so again, we find the word of God in the mouth of an unexpected character. And then Mark very intentionally chooses the words of Isaiah to explain and describe what it is John the Baptist is going out to do. This is the interconnectedness of Scripture. John wants us to know, or Mark wants us to know the original meaning of Isaiah 40, what we just talked about, exile and comfort. And now Mark wants to evolve that story just a little bit to deepen our appreciation of who God is and the plans that God has. Mark is tying the theme of exile and deliverance now directly into Jesus. And just like the prophet Isaiah declared that the judgment of God would give way to tenderness, John declared that deliverance was coming for God's people once again. Repent and be baptized. The one who comes after me, I'm not even worthy to stoop and untie his sandals. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit. There's deliverance coming. I'm the one speaking, making the path straight in the wilderness. This is John the Baptist. This is how Mark is casting this vision. But just like last time, the message comes without specifics or detail. It's just simply said, call and repent and believe. John simply says, turn away from the ways of the world that lead to judgment and despair. This is what repentance means, this turning away from and turning toward. John says, turn away from the ways of the world that will only lead to destruction and despair, and turn toward the God of deliverance. For Israel, the time had come to be delivered from the power of Babylon and to return to the land God has promised That's what happened in Isaiah 40. That's what it was about, this time of turning away from the captivity and toward deliverance. And now John comes and says his piece. For those who hear the message of John the Baptist, the time had come to be delivered from their sin and wandering, to be delivered into the light of Jesus. And now, as we hear these words, as the lectionary has served this up to us, this year, to read on the second Sunday of Advent, I can't help but wonder, what is the meaning? How does it evolve now? The original meaning always stays in place, but what's the evolution of the passage now, and what does it speak to us where we are right now today? For Israel, it was Babylon. For John the Baptist, it was the deliverance that Jesus would provide. For us, we live in the light of both of those realities. What now is the call of this passage on us today? As we read and reread these words, I wonder what we are called to be delivered from. Because as we read and reread these words, I realize that Advent is a time for the annunciation of the impossible. When God moves, impossible things happen. Isaiah announces the end of the exile. It's impossible. Gabriel announces that Mary will carry the Messiah. This is impossible. John announces that Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit. This is impossible. To the hearers of all of these announcements, they are absolutely unfathomable. How can Babylon fall? How can a virgin give birth to a child? How can one be covered with the very Spirit of God? And so I wonder today, what feels impossible to us? What is so unimaginable and unfathomable? What freedom, what repentance, what turning away from and turning toward is accessible to us today because Advent is the time for the annunciation of the impossible. What is God inviting comfort, comfort, make way, make straight the ways in the wilderness? What are we being invited to today today? What feels out there beyond hope and beyond expectation? Will we have ears to hear and eyes to see the movement of God beyond the horizon of expectation? Will we believe like Isaiah and Mary and John that the word of God endures forever? That nothing is impossible God in her um, devotional for this week if you're not opening your daily devotional emails from the church, you should open those this is good stuff um, and particularly they're all good so I don't want to like make it sound like anything's better but Christy Westra is a, is a member here of the church and a friend of mine and she has been writing uh, these amazing devotionals, full of great context for the lectionary gospel passage that we're going to be talking about on Sundays. Uh, and they're just, they're just incredible. So open your uh, devotional emails. Those from Christy come out specifically on Saturday and they're great. She included an Advent prayer this week that I, that I want to close with today. Because it's a very simple prayer, but as I read this prayer, what I, what I read is a call for us and an invitation to for us to imagine the world as God intends it to be. A world filled with hope and peace. A world filled with the type of tenderness that comes when oppression and injustice are judged and found wanting. A world that that seems impossible to us, but a world that the announcement of Advent says is possible because with God all things are possible. So as the worship team begins to play this morning and I read this prayer, I want you to close your eyes where you are right now. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine. Imagine the world as God intends it to be. Imagine the world that God has already given us deliverance into. Imagine what it means when we say, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and invite Jesus, God with us, into the impossibilities of the world and of your life today. Imagine what it means that in God, the impossible has been announced as possible. Let's pray together. Lord, you are the light of the world. Oh come, O come, Emmanuel. Heavenly Father, we turn to you in repentance. Give us hearts to see your beauty and wait in hope for you to make all things good and new again. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. May your light and love shine brightly in our hearts, spreading hope and peace to those around us. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. We imagine in your name and your name alone, Jesus. I pray these things in that holy name.